0: to uh, coaches coaching cars getting coffee. We're coming live from Station Square in Eindhoven uh, at a wonderful coffee shop called The Coffee Lab where I'm joined by my colleague Brett Holland. Um, good morning. Good morning, Brett. So we're in the midst of a trip to uh, to Belgium and Holland, uh, in Holland today, obviously, and our first sort of hockey activity was watching Arangurud train at their fantastic club last night so just sketch down a few questions that we're both going to work through and share our reflections from the trip so far um question number one would be
1: what was the first thing you noticed um yeah a few things really i guess there's one thing i noticed before we even got there which was the fact they train in three to five yeah and then the women train three to five men train five to seven then it flips um, the next day, so then men were trained earlier. Right. I guess the fact that they're able to do that was like, well, this is a pretty serious outfit. It's more yeah. like a professional sports team rather than yeah. squeezing in hockey yeah. in amongst all your work. Yeah. Um, so that was really interesting. I guess the thing that I noticed first, and we were able to watch most of both sessions, weren't we, mm-hmm. um, it was just how kind of relaxed it was, yet yeah, with intensity. Yeah. So the men's and women's sessions were quite different, but there was... A definite kind of transition and down times, but when they were playing, it was quite intense in terms of what the, the purpose behind what they were doing. Um, but interesting, we we're at the point of the season where they're going into what could be the last games of the season this weekend for the men, anyway. The women have actually just secured their playoff game, um, post season. So, actually, is that maybe influencing how they go about the business? So, would it be as full intense as normal? Um, and the other thing that was really obvious was just the, the high skill level from both the men and the women's game, especially the men's game. Some of the goals they were scoring and some of the things they were doing was really top level. Yeah, you? and that
0: <laughs> that was interesting on the skill level because they didn't they were doing things that we were reacting to, and like yeah. that's new, that's different. But on the pitch, that was very there was no reaction to it. When yeah. you think they're special goals. Well, Van der Horst did a couple. He yeah, he, a couple he, times. Yeah, he got excited once or twice, but. There must have been 10 goals in that 5v5v5 that we saw that we thought were outstanding in the men's yep. game and that it was very much run-of-the-mill stuff, yep. or the perception was that it was that, based on their reaction. Um, the stuff that I noticed was, like just on arrival, like the great feeling of support. So the, the place has like a strong feel and identity, and like good logos brand, everywhere. Yeah, branding. The kit's really good. People just
1: milling about. Look, look like the part of something. and yeah. they're all attached to that that place. The point to put there is they're all trained in the same gear. Yeah. yeah. So whoever it was on fifteen, had am fifteen on his shirt. So it's just added that layer of professionalism. Yeah. Um, and then sort of
0: because of how the good the facility was, the willingness of all the teams to spend time there. So yeah. the boys were really for training, grabbing yeah. a coffee, It's their social space, they're having a chat watching the girls train and then when the girls finished they all ate inside the clubhouse together and spent you know, a significant amount of time after training uh, socialising in what is a really great space. Yeah. So I, th- I think the quality of the facility and support definitely adds something to the hockey aspect as well and that helps them build, build relationships so that, that's something that I noticed that maybe it just seemed like a more, compared to a British hockey club or an English hockey club, it just felt like it was open and you could come and go and you, yep. could, you could spend more time there readily right down to little things like there being a good wi-fi network so if people needed to work they could yeah. do that and it just felt like a place that was set up for its its players and members to spend time yeah. which is significant with and like a
1: big inside area, yeah. which had a like yeah. a bar and yeah. food coffee whatever yeah but it also had a tv screen at the back of it which was playing yeah the highlights. hockey highlights yeah. from the first teams yeah so again a bit about identity a bit about celebrating what you're doing well they've got around you with tv and yeah they explain. and
0: then the
1: other seven pitches that are there, other than the <laughs> one that we watched, <laughs>
0: that's seventy cents. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah, the other, so they had eight. So yeah. uh, lots of teams being coached yeah. in a in a more formal sense. There was a couple of coaches on the pitch with the juniors. But as we arrived, there's lots of informal play, just kids on the pitch playing pickup games, which yeah. is great, and all under the same sort of banner, all on the same pitches, all the around Keir the road similar kit yeah. yeah and then the proximal role models bit so just meters away yeah. from where kids are playing pickup games they might go inside to get a sandwich and then they've got highlights of Thomas Briel scoring on the on the big screen yeah. and then he's out there <laughs> training so yeah. in terms of um, an aspirational model for for juniors i don't yeah. think it gets much better with the you know role
1: models within your club on your doorstep yeah. it's pretty powerful stuff really I guess the opportunity to do that with the eight pitches and yeah. with the massive clubhouse, with the central yeah. location, etc., is, is pretty big. Yeah. I guess other things that I noticed once hockey started was just the skill level being high. I know yeah. we touched on it earlier, but little things like the amount of errors are actually quite relatively low, mm-hmm. um, yeah, exactly. so very few mistraps, really. Yeah. Um, but also it's a decent amount of pressure on your receiving. Yeah, the receiving yeah. very strong. I guess little clever things like actually remember the one where the ball went across the D on a 45 degree angle, instead of picking up the ball and then driving across yeah. the same way, let the ball come all the way across the body, let the ball keep going, let the ball keep going, and then try to eliminate. Yeah. So gives a lot more detail it felt like yeah. on the receiving. Yeah. Um, so the stuff that I had a conversation with you at the time about
0: defending, like the defended very well, but mm-hmm. defending felt and looked like more of a tactical exercise than an individual. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my coaching and um, experiences would be around players wearing gloves getting left hand low and doing a lot of 1v1 defending really hard 1v1 defending yeah. um, I think there was in the men's training group 18 players and 3 gloves so it's not a high percentage of players yeah. wearing them yeah. and I just wondered if are we, is, a, is there a, a real step change there in how they defend what the stands around defending are do they encourage to defend differently and, and that would be something I'd ask certainly If that is there a higher pride on it in games and there is in training and they, are they able to flip between the two because certainly mm. shots, you know, we, we talk a lot about contesting the shot in the circle mm. and we would do it at training but certainly shots went uncontested from world class players last night and there yep. was maybe a nod to the weekend yep. but I just found that quite interesting, not that it's not as a positive or a negative either way, I just thought yep. it was interesting.
1: And yeah, I think it will be uh, good to see whether they wear the gloves, come match down the when and watch them. Yeah. Um, or whether it's just what they do. Yeah. And is is it time of the year? So is it we're going into the game of the weekend? I don't really want to get myself injured, so I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And you also know the the venom they're going to put inside the shot as well. So the likelihood of being injured is that little. At yeah. Home. I mean,
0: some of the shooting like you wouldn't be too keen to block, but <laughs> certainly it's a it seems a bigger explicit value that we
1: have in in the UK. Yeah. Than from, we from, saw, that from that snapshot that we yeah, saw yeah. last um, night at the training. Yeah. Another thing that I noticed um, was actually have like, fun it yeah. still was which I think is interesting given these guys train three, four times a week it's end of the season it could quite easily be mm-hmm. monotonous or tired or whatever but actually these guys really enjoying each other's company mm-hmm. so after the session it all kind of finished there was a handful of them doing corners a handful yeah. of them sitting on the bench and they were laughing and joking with each other messing about goofing around or whatever you, you would say and not that I was surprised by that necessarily but it, it was something that I noticed mm-hmm. how much they just enjoyed being in that environment and the fact they had that relaxed feel about it at the same time mm-hmm. um, last little thing actually I noticed about coach interactions so the women's had the lead coach and assistant coach there yeah. and it was still very player driven yeah. it felt like the coach was dropping in some information but the players were talking about it in their own little groups mm-hmm. and it was mainly gameplay stuff that we saw and then the men's it felt like the assistant coach taking the session because the head coach couldn't be there yeah, to I think, we didn't think they showed up at the end. Yeah, But again, there was very, like the,
0: a lot of the boys in the senior Dutch stuff. They've got yeah. a few internationals, and they seem to yeah, so have a lot to say. Yeah, it, I think Van Vierden was leading quite a lot of it. Yeah, he, he did a bit going from the 8v8 into the 5v5. I think around, it looked like he was talking about playing through a zone yeah. against that zonal press, yeah. which was interesting. Obviously, my Dutch is, is not good enough to know exactly what he was saying. but he picked it, up a few words. Yeah, I picked <laughs> up a couple. Um, <laughs> swear words, but... Um, <laughs> yeah it looked like they were talking about playing through a zone round a zone because he was talking a lot around Outlet being a defender which was mm. pretty interesting but mm. yeah the, the highlight would be that the game that the men's finished with the
1: 5v5v5 was really high level of quality yeah. and very uh, fluid in, in rotation so yeah. Mink, for example is a defender he was a centre forward at the time yeah, as well yeah to get through the good energy Yeah. anything else that made you kind of curious while you were watching so just
0: actually around the whole club so the biggest thing that I'll as we drove away, was what's, what makes that model possible from the financial and what sort of partners you have to make a club model like that actually possible yeah. and how it sits within the community, community. And the bit that I'm curious about is if is there anything to learn from it or is it just too alien
1: yeah.
0: and we could learn nothing because our, our culture and our lifestyles are so different that there's nothing to take from that and then we can't translate anything into yeah. from, from that, what I thought was an excellent environment for developing young players through to... To performance players you can do it all in one place reasonably speaking yep. I just wonder if there's anything that we can learn and take away into our group environments who maybe aren't as sophisticated or as, as well rounded or is it just it sits in a completely different place in the community and it's very hard to achieve that yep. in the UK
1: and again we'd be interested to learn whether Eindhoven well, or Andrew would have this model yeah. or does Amsterdam does Pina K does Tio Do they all train at three or is it yeah. five to seven, seven to nine? I mean that. I mean, when, unless you go to a,
0: at least a semi-professional game, you'll never get that sort of yeah. training I mean the, slot.
1: Thomas Breals is a full-time hockey player.
0: Yeah, he's on an international cut. Co- yeah, so it's whether you. It's not necessarily that. It's more around the level of hockey activity. Um, I don't think you're going to get ten pitches at many places in the UK, but you know how often are other pitches full at clubs? Yeah. So, is there are there any lessons that we can learn? and there was any good things that you can sort of think Well, that could work for us mm. around, around coaching and volunteering or yeah. around proximal role models, um, it just felt that, that place was a real hub of a hockey community for everyone, yeah. not just for our first team or not just
1: for a junior section, it was for everyone and everyone was there at the same time. Yeah, completely agree. I think the bits that made me curious was more around the session, so yeah. Being a chance to speak to coaches, what was the outcome, all the yeah. intended outcomes, what did they want at the session? Mm-hmm. How how are they? Well, um, what they thinking around the intensity of the session? How was it mm. planned given the weekend? If they got three or four sessions a week, where did that fit into the the periodisation of the week, the month, the year, etc.? Yeah. Um, and the last thing I was thought about was they all both men's and did a PC block at the end of training, and mm. where well, that's just like normal or how they, how they work their PCs into it? Because again. Especially on the Dutch side, the, uh, sorry, on the men's side, the PCs are absolutely vital mm-hmm. to, to scoring goals. So, is that what they do after every session, or is there a focus bit at some point throughout the week as well? So, last question.
0: Uh, what we ask when we go back? So, we're due back on Sunday to watch um, the ladies play, the yep. ladies play. Play Laren. Laren. So, what will you ask um, any of the, the staff, or coaches, players? We get a chance to have a chat with. What we ask when we go
1: back, probably the bit they ask us. about, actually, what were the intentions of the the session? How it fitted into the, the bigger picture would be something I'd be really interesting to know. Mm. Um, and then, for me personally, looking at the Laffer program, how we can increase the amount of hockey we do without increasing the amount of mental fatigue that we put the players yeah. through as well. So how do they manage all those sessions per week? Mm-hmm. Do they skip certain sessions? Do they do in the sessions? Is it just that they just do it all the time? So it's folk pedagogy? That's just the way we do it. So people just deal with the mental fatigue more because they're yeah. used to it? Or is there certain things that we can learn
0: from? I know yes. that would be the question I'll ask. Yeah, that's really cool. So mine would be around the club's coaching philosophy yeah. and um, and how they appoint coaches, and how the club actually, if they have a vision or a model that they want to play to, that the juniors are coached in a, a certain way and it's, that translates to seniors and it this goes down, or do they very much have a view that they'll hire high quality performance coaches that have their way of playing and that embeds for however long they're in that first team role and the juniors are a separate entity, or if there's a real philosophy across coaching, which is probably a question
1: for Sven when yeah. we talk to him next. From what we picked up yesterday, in that brief conversation we had with him, I think he has rolled his second team down, yeah. and all the juniors. Yeah. whereas your first team? Your yeah. I guess in football terms, is your, your manager teams. that comes in, comes out? Yeah. But then you've got your structure underneath, yeah. which is a bit more. So there's the, the the lady, the German lady that coaches
0: the Definitely. yeah, that coaches the, 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 Dame's first team, would the principles, and style of play. Get cascaded down, mm. or would Orangie would have a junior development model which stays yeah. in place, yeah. and then they hire independent of that, or what? The convert? Do they hire on cultural fit, on playing philosophy, or just be interested around what what is the meat of what they try and do? And mm. from a coaching perspective, both the the experience the players have and how they deliver their coaching, and what the the, the on the pitch, if there's any tactical technical stuff that they they really pride, that would yeah. be something I'd be keen to ask.
1: And again, just thinking out loud as we get into this, it's actually because they do run it a bit more like a football team, in, in, in yeah. air quotes, that they do buy players in. Yeah, yeah. So actually, yeah. You, you're going to develop and you're going to um, grow players within your club, but actually, you're going to get in a Granato, you're going to get in a Thomas Breals, yeah. et cetera. So maybe they, they run as a separate entity because they are, essentially. Yeah. And if you've got two or three world-class players, you build or adapt your team a little bit around them. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So I think we'll probably call it there because that is our hockey experience to date in the Netherlands. More to come over the next three days. But this is uh, podcast one of coaches in cars getting coffee. Over and out.